0: You're listening
1: to Neurodiversity at Work.
0: Welcome to today's episode, sponsored and powered by Dynamis Group. Recently honoured to be part of 300 years of leadership and innovation. We at Dynamis believe that business is a catalyst for positive impact in the world by building a bridge between the top leaders of today and the brightest leaders of tomorrow. We inspire them to do things they have never done before. Chance, James, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the greatest podcast on earth on the subject of neurodiversity at work. It is an absolute pleasure to have my friendly sparring partners on the podcast. Really pleased to have you on. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really, really well. Such a privilege to um, share a space with you, as you know, Theo.
2: Fabulous. No, thank you so much for having us, uh, Theo. We're super excited to be here. Um, and it, it is great to be sharing a podcast. We're quite used to sharing a, a
0: stage with you, but never tried a podcast, so looking forward to it. So just let's get started, right? Let's get into the nitty gritty um, of what I want to talk about today. I'm right, really pleased to have you on because you have one fascinating a uh, story background to share and to tell, um, but also you're now doing incredible work, uh, utilising your lived experience to, for the benefit of others, which I love. Um, so, Chance, you just you just get us going here. Tell us a little bit about who you are, Chance, um, and, and why we're chatting today.
1: Oh, so I'm the uh, partner support manager on Bridge of Hope, and um, I want to share my story. You know. Um, You know, my sort of childhood experiences, um, you know, my uh, dyslexia, how that sort of affected me along the way and why I'm why I'm so passionate about doing stuff in this space and um, trying to support system impacted talent uh, such as myself into employment, um, where we all deserve. We all deserve that opportunity and the systems just seems to block us out somewhat. So this is really important to me and all of us, as I know. Brilliant, thank you. And we'll come on to some more of that in a
0: second. James, you just give us a, a quick little intro to, to who you are for our audience. So they get a little snippet.
2: Hi, hi Theo. Um, so my name is James Fellows. I'm the, the founder of uh, Bridge of Hope Careers. Uh, and I was um, blessed with bipolar. Um, and um, so I'm thrilled to be on this uh, particular podcast. It's something that is near and dear to my head. Um, To be honest, for 35 years uh, of my life, I never gave it a second thought. I didn't know I actually was neurodiverse, and it was something that was just not even on the Richter scale. Uh, And then for the last 15 years or so, uh, it has been pretty central (laughs) to my entire life uh, and has created some incredible highs and some pretty uh, horrendous lows as well. Um, So much looking forward to, to discussing it in more detail.
0: Tell us a little bit more, then, James, about how the journey that you've gone on um, through exploring uh, the fact that you're neurodiverse, how you found out, what happened. Give us that lovely uh, background um, to, to to how you've got to to us today, and then we can uh, Chance can give us an intro and uh, and let us know uh, his background as well. Well, no problem. So, I mean, to be honest, I
2: was born incredibly lucky, Theo. And I think you know this. So um, I had a very, very privileged childhood. I had an idyllic family. Uh, everything really was incredibly stable. I was fortunate enough to be sent off to very fancy schools in the same class as a prime minister called Cameron um, and um, then went into the business world. Uh, and I ended up uh, working for two of the biggest companies on the planet, Bass at the time, the biggest hospitality company, and then moved to get Guinness and Diageo um and and life was really golden i was on a fairly straight linear um line towards um, the sort of exec roles um and loving life happily married three kids uh, and i got posted off to america um and really you know it, it things really couldn't have gone much better to be honest and by the time we got to sort of 2008 uh, i was happily married three kids um and i was living um living the american dream uh, and kind of what could possibly go wrong um well, well pretty much everything to be honest. Um, and so my luck ran out. Uh, I was laid off uh, in two thousand eight, and then anything that could anything that possibly could happen did happen really on uh, a negative way. Uh, I got sued, I got swindled, swindled again, so between them they cleaned me out of all my savings um, and um and I was made unemployed four times in six years or something. it was it was all absolutely horrendous. Um, and then it got to a stage where um, the money basically completely ran out uh, and I had to go and um, try and um, get the weekly shopping for my my family and realize by that stage, all my credit cards were completely maxed out um, and I couldn't get access to any money. And the only money I could get access to was five dollars, 41 cents for a family of five. Um, and I had to make a, a pretty horrendous decision. You know, what do I want to do? Buy a loaf of bread and some Nutella? or um get some cereal um and some milk and that was basically the alternative um and anybody who's who's got kids uh will, will know this you know we're all high, hardwired to feed your children and, and suddenly i wasn't able to and and that triggered something um pretty catastrophic really uh in my brain um and everything effectively stopped operating um and i just couldn't do anything um i don't know didn't know why or what well, I knew why, I suppose, because it was I was incredibly stressed about this. Um, but I, you know, it was so bad that I literally couldn't go and pick a tin of baked beans um, from uh, the cupboard. Um, and I used to just sit there and stare out the window for hours and hours on on end, just not being able to operate, and lost effectively three stone. Uh, and so I was I was taken to taken to the local doctor, who immediately said you got to go to see the psychiatrist in the local hospital. Uh, and that's when um, you know everything. Pretty well unraveled to be honest um and i was i was sectioned uh, for the foreseeable future um and which was a very very scary um thing to hear and I, I you know not only the section bit but the foreseeable future which frankly i thought meant for life uh, and with that a, a large gentleman uh, came into the room and uh, who was fairly intent on me sitting in the wheelchair Uh, and going with him. And if I didn't do that, he was going to handcuff me to the wheelchair and take me, Um, which he did. um, And then he took me upstairs um, to the psychiatric ward um, in that hospital, um, which had a huge, great thick door, uh, obviously was locked. Uh, And the next thing I know, I'm I'm effectively an inmate in a large psychiatric ward, uh, which was a spectacularly scary place to be. Um, I'd obviously never been somewhere like that before. Everybody else was, was clearly incredibly disturbed, uh, incredibly, uh, ill. And as far as I was concerned, there was nothing wrong with me. I just, you know, was a bit stressed. Uh, so I had a sort of huge feeling of guilt, um, for probably taking somebody else's bed, um, and huge guilt, I suppose, as well, because I failed so miserably for my children that I couldn't even afford to, to feed them. Um, and in case you're wondering what a psychiatric ward's like, um, Certainly the ones in America, actually not hugely dissimilar to a normal hospital ward, apart from a few kind of fundamentals. I mentioned the door, obviously, but also there are actually no curtains uh, in the whole place, uh, no shower curtains. Uh, It took me two or three days to work out why that was. Um, And um, it's got very thick glass in the window. uh, And it was a seventh floor. And the reason I know that is because one of my fellow inmates decided to try and throw himself out of that seventh floor uh, and came flying back in again. Uh, so hugely traumatic to be honest. Uh, and then when I kind of came out, my, my brother and uncle came out to America and they said, look, we're going to just take him back to the UK and sort of help him recover there, which everybody thought was a good idea. Uh, and I didn't have a vote. And when I came back, um, they reinforced what I'd been told, uh, in the psychiatric ward was that I had bipolar disorder. Um, and I had, frankly, I didn't even know what bipolar disorder was, let alone, no, I had it. Um, and so, effectively, that was pretty well the sort of change to my entire life. Um, and I can tell you, kind of a bit further down the line of how, how we evolved from there.
0: Wow! I mean, I, what what a journey um, that, that you've come on, um, and to do the incredible work that you do today um, through those lived experiences. And chance, do you just want to, um, because it because I've heard this before, and it plugs in so nicely in terms of how both your journeys. Uh, have combined to be able to do the work that you do today. So, just want to give us some background for the audience.
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Theo. And so, so, so uh, unlike James, I, I wasn't born lucky. Um, I, I was born into a a family where my my dad didn't think I was his, and so I experienced uh, some physical abuse when I was a child. The first being before I was one year old, which left me with what I thought were birthmarks until I was twenty one. And so, and so, as a result of that, I didn't feel particularly significant at home. And so, I left my family house, and um, i i I met some i met some friends, and and they made me they made me feel significant. But the 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 byproduct of that was that they were from the antisocial membership, and it would only be a matter of time before I got myself into trouble. And I did. Um, by the time I was sixteen, I ended up in prison. And by the time I was 18, my sister took me to a mental hospital because, you know, the depression just was too much. The trauma was too much. And, you know, I I went on to try to try to make some changes, but it wasn't so successful. And I think this is where, you know, the dyslexia sort of tied in. I had no idea I had that, but I was struggling in various areas. And. You know, I went on trying, trying, trying and then fast forward my sister, who was my rock. um, She died of cancer and I didn't want to talk about it because then that would make it real. And um, which is the worst thing you could possibly do. I know now, Um, because within a year, my life unraveled and I ended up back inside one 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 last time and and i asked myself this time i asked myself this question i said do you like who you are do you like who you've become and the answer was the answer was worse than no i didn't want to live on i didn't want to live with myself if this was who i was going to be i just didn't see the point in living and so i i was left with these really strong choices and that was either to not live Or change and so and so I threw everything and the kitchen sink and the neighbors kitchen sink at change and I spent three years and ten months uh, in therapy to deal with the childhood traumas to unlock some pain there and then spent five years studying with the Open University to give myself an education my childhood didn't afford to me and done swathes of personal development programs and then this incredible, incredible day came, Theo, where I was just, after all this personal development, I was filled with ebullience and I just started crying. These warm, warm tears of joy just came pouring down my face. And it was because for the first time in my entire life, I felt freedom. I felt freedom, no more emotional discombobulation, no more anger. I was, I was filled with forgiveness. And, and most importantly, I was topped to the brim with self-respect. And I realized at that point, two things had happened. I realized that my childhood experiences were no longer going to define my future. And I'd finally become the person that I was always meant to be. And that was the day that I decided whatever work I'm doing, um, I wanted to be supporting people who faced similar challenges growing up, and um and to nourish communities um in a certain way and and so i started mentoring um, lots of guys really successfully and still doing so today and i was introduced through uh, to james in fact from a um a, a partner that we work with now a charity partner too in fact and um and then james invited me to join him on bridge of hope and for me um joining Bridge of Hope was like an invitation to heaven in this sort of situation because now I can support system impacted talent from across the board, whether they be veterans, people with neurodiversities, disabled, you know, um LGBT, the whole lot. Um so this was a fantastic place. I couldn't sort of wish to sit in a better space, um, and to really, really share my sort of experiences. Um, with, with people and try to sort of shift hearts and minds in the right direction to realise that people like yourself, Theo, myself, James, um, we're, we were diamonds in the rough, you know, um, you know um, kept out by the systems that exist, you know, and, and so we only needed to be found, slightly polished, and we were sparkle in, this, in the way that we're sparkling in this space now, which is such a privilege. That's amazing. Thank you. And you know what? So
0: um, I find, I find both your journeys incredible. Uh, But both, both of you became, and this is from what I've heard, whether you've just mentioned it really there, almost unemployable, right? Okay, you've been to prison, um, in addition to all the other uh, uh, challenges that you've faced. So I mean, and James, uh, the, the journey that you've gone on from senior executive to completely a, a, unemployable, or working—I think you said—in a cold meat factory or something. So in a freezer, you know, like these were the options that you had available to you. Like that—that's how we see this, right? That's how organisations probably see um, see people who who face these challenges. What do you think is the is the tipping point, is the change because? You know, we're three people here, right? You're two people, two stories. And what about all the other people? Do they still face those, those steep walls, those steep barriers? Do you think without finding each other in the way that you have, there would be no other opportunities? I'm interested in your perspective and insight into like where we are today on the basis of other people who are coming through with similar types of experience to, to, to both of you
1: yeah i mean i i I can i can i can just i can jump in and answer that i think that this is where the this is where the resilience and the grit comes from and you know you know you're facing these barriers and yes there's you know i was ticking so many different boxes it was unreal um that would keep me out but you know once you once i got past that Once I realized I'd become something that I really liked, you know, and I found my self-esteem and so forth, there was no stopping me. So I was always going to continue to knock at the door, even if no one let me in throughout the whole of my life. I was going to continue to knock at that door because all of what I've gone through in my life and now has built me that way. I, I refuse to give up. You know, I will always march forward. You know, and that's why you find a lot of people um, like ourselves will go the extra mile. We'll, we work so much harder, you know, because we we know what it's like to be locked out. And when someone does let you in, you become the loyalest person in that building, you know, um, because you you just you you understand it. You know what it's like to be locked out, and so and so yeah. And and what I've come away with from all of that. I was going to use a different word, but I'm going to just say all of that rubbish that I'd had to wade through, which sometimes felt like wading through clay in flip-flops, I've come out the other end um, with such a high level of resilience. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And it's, it's one of the things that will feature now on my CV, resilience. You know, if you can teach me how to do the job, believe me, you've got someone who will be steadfast and continue to push, you know. And so, so that's what I sort of got out of it. And so, yeah, the barriers are there. They would have probably been there a lot longer hadn't I met James um, and and stuff like that. But I think just like just like recruiters should be mining and trying to find us um, and, and they, they need to sort of dig deeper, I, I was always digging up to come up through it and so i surfaced and i i think i managed to show my head and got pulled out um <laughs> and, and, and polished as it were <laughs> so yeah so that's that's sort of my my end of it um
2: and and you know sort of building on that if i may um yeah building on that if i may so you use the word unemployable and i think that is the that was the definitive word um And and effectively, I found that out when I was after being diagnosed with bipolar and my family and everything else unraveling, lost a lot. uh, Suddenly, nobody would hire me. I I, I literally was completely unemployable. I tried pubs, cafes, you name it, basic jobs, blue collar. Nobody would touch me. Uh, So the only place that did was a frozen food factory. And you alluded to that uh, because they didn't care. They just wanted two pairs of hands. And frankly, I was the only non-Eastern European to do that. Uh, And then, so having gone through that, clawed my way back into corporate again, and then being made redundant for one more time, that was when I had my personal kind of epiphany moment, and a bit like chance, you know, it it really changed my life. And it's like, you know, do you want to keep flogging, you know, legal drugs, which is what I did with the drinks industry, or actually do you want to make a difference? Uh, And I didn't know quite what it was going to be, but I did know it was going to be something to do with the job. Uh, And it was also something to do with helping people who had barriers to employment, that frankly I'd never had my entire career and then suddenly i have been faced for the last two years because of my mental health condition, Uh, I wanted to help other people with barriers to employment. But I didn't want to limit it to people who were just potentially neurodiverse. Uh, It was also what about people who've been in prison, what about homeless, uh, veterans, Um, and then we've expanded that basically to any type of group who are experiencing some form of barrier um, to employment. And that's what we're trying to do, is effectively try and help them get them access to employment, and then flip the model and, and change the thinking on the employer's basis. Uh, because the employers are permanently thinking, yeah, this group is unemployable. Why would I hire somebody with a criminal record? Or why would I hire somebody with a mental health condition? Um, we've got to change that whole thinking and the whole logic there on the employer's side to saying, hold on, this is an incredible talent pool. And as Chance alluded to it, you know, the research is there. And, you know, this is not research by us. It's by business in the community, CIPD, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which says this group, which is, you know, untapped talent, as we like to call them in a positive way, you know, work harder, they stay longer, you know, they're really great for your reputation. And, you know, Timson being an obvious poster child for that. Um And so the progressive employers are now getting it and they're going, okay, this is, you know, we're struggling to find talent. We're doubly struggling to find diverse talent, which we all want to do. And and we're going, well, hold on a second. There's, there's enormous talent pools out there of these people. You're just not looking. And even if you're looking, you've got processes that are designed to keep them out. You know, job descriptions that make sure they don't apply for it or interview processes that are, you know, a nightmare. And I know, Theo, you've done a lot of work in this space. Um, so there's a long way to go. But there's a, I think there is starting to be a, a big sea change, uh, driven by the massive um, uh, sort of ta- war for talent that's out there, and the need to become more diverse. Organizations realise they've got to change their thinking, and now starting to embrace this whole approach, uh, which is which is you know really encouraging.
0: Brilliant. And I think you both uh, kind of alluded to, it, mentioned it. Is the uh, you specifically there, chance, saying around um, once. Um, you know, you you had the appetite, but you just needed to be given the platform to kind of lean into your strengths, right? To be able to show what you had to offer. And I think that's really important. And that's maybe the missing piece uh, of what's now being plugged, of what you're doing, which is organisations not knowing how to identify um, the strengths in these individuals or feeling, being scared, not not knowing where to look and how to engage with this talent. And then the talent itself, being able to find the, the right platform to be able to show their, their skills and strength. And, and if we think around neurodiversity, um, actually a disproportionate amount of people who are ADHD or autistic or dyslexic are in prison um, or don't have good qualifications or probably have mental health challenges as well because lack of diagnosis. Therefore, they would have got into other challenges, misdiagnosis, all these things. Like when you start to add it up, right, you mentioned it yourself that um, you come with many labels, not just one right? It's like how many labels do I need to come with you to get a job right? Um, but it, so that I, I find that this is almost like the tipping point now where organizations and so many people listening or be feeling this, so many people are impacted um, or being system impacted or marginalized because of just because of the way they think. We'll be like, what? What do I need to do? What do I need to? How am I going to be able to show? I know that I could do good stuff. I'm a good person. I want to, but but I have this all this legacy stuff that comes with me. That's hard to hard to change the perception. So how are we gonna how are we gonna change the perception of of the listeners? If, if let's say HR teams or organizations or what is the what is the connecting pieces? you're now putting in place to help those organisations wake up to the fact there's incredible talent who don't
1: need the labels, they need the opportunities. Well, do, do you know, one of the things is, you know, like i have started to sort of ask people the question now you know would you hire your steven spielberg or your your richard branson or your thomas edison would you have hired you know jennifer aniston Whoopie pick up these sort of great sort of people and uh, and if the answer is yes then they're all dyslexic and so you know and and i said this to someone what we what we what we're doing and what the system is doing it's preventing us from actually finding these incredible people, because what happens is that we think um, differently as a result. You know, so I think in a really creative way. I also know just from studying uh, business that dyslexia is a trait of many entrepreneurs, you know, and there's some incredible people out there. And and so what we're essentially doing, we're doing the same thing um, as the guy that didn't sign the Beatles, you know, and then watch them become your Richard Branson's then and think, oh, God, we had a chance to hire that person or hire from this talent pool. And so we need to actually just think about all these incredible people, you know, which includes Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, Um, they're out there. Um, and we need to start mining for them. We we need to start finding these incredible um, talent who can bring another way of thinking because we've had to learn another way of thinking. Um, and, and But we achieve. We are achievers. We, we get things done. You know, by hook or by crook, we will make things happen, you know. And, and, and I think sort of recruiters really need to think about this and think about all these different sort of talent pools where actually... How are we going to shift the system um, in a direction which will allow us to basically sign the Beatles, be the people that sign them up, you know, to, to sign up your Richard Branson's, your Steve's, and, and, and work with them and be a part of that journey. And what's what else you get out of it is that it brings in new innovation, fresh thinking, you know, ideas, and, and, and a whole bunch of wonderful, wonderful things, you know. Um, and so I'm, I'm really... I'm really hopeful now that the climate is right for people to now think about these things and actually consider all of these sort of great people that are out there, you know. And in regards to people uh, in prison, um, for instance, they, you, know, like 50, you know, nearly about 50 percent of care leavers, you know, from the care system, you know, um, have maybe, you know, dyslexia and things like this, you um, But they're great people. And and if we don't, we need to now think about caring about our human family. And so I always say to recruiters, do you know, I think that the interview process alone puts people off. And I think it's the attitude behind it. And I always say this. Stop recruiting and start changing lives, because if you do that, the interview questions will be different. The interview questions will change. You'll be looking for resilience in a candidate. You'll be looking for grit. You'll be finding out, could this is this person a fast learner? And if they are, all you have to do is apply the knowledge. And we know that half the jobs out there, you don't need a degree to do them. You know, that whole criteria is a barrier. You know, so just lower the fence and let the great talent come on in you know we've, we've got so many of them it's just incredible you know and um you know we i mean as, as you know we, we were we recently won an award for social mobility you know from the british diversity awards Yeah, and so so we're being recognized for the work we just need the whole of the recruiting um the recruiting um community to actually say wow actually if they're being, awarded for it there's some there's something there so, so so you know we welcome anyone who wants to ask questions to find out how they can tap into those talent pools and actually just try and try and get these people to to get some some really good jobs and that will be beneficial to your organization in a massive way
2: reinforcing what chance is saying uh I, you know first of all i think there's a mindset shift big time Uh, And, you know, we're obviously talking about neurodiversity here. So I think there's even really, really big mindset shift um, around neurodiversity. And and I know you get this, Theo, but, you know, I think there's been a bit of a shift, but it's more around stigma and, yeah, okay, how do we deal with these people? And it's not maybe we may accommodate people and all of that rubbish. Bullshit. This is an incredible talent pool, unbelievable talent pool. And why are you not proactively going after that? And you know if you're managing a team or you're hiring for a team, you want you you need people to think differently. you need a whole range of different types of thinking versus even if they're diverse in in uh, you know you could have gender and you could have skin color or whatever. but if everybody thinks the same way, you're still going to get the same answers. but if you actually start uh, aggressively or actively looking to hire for people who think differently, then you're going to create some serious differences and and you touched on autism, for example theo so you know only I think it's fourteen percent of people who have autism who are over sixteen have a job. I mean that's just absolutely appalling, but rather than thinking about it being appalling, think of it as an incredible talent pool, and why you're not going after that and if you If you run a bank and you need a compliance division or a uh, you know really incredibly focused operations manager, well you'll be hard pushed to beat somebody who's autistic for that, and particularly if they can work from home or you know you you know as as chance mentioned um dyslexic. Uh, if you're hiring for marketing roles or particular, you know, advertising agencies, why are you not proactively looking for dyslexic people? We know it's proven they are fundamentally more creative. They've had to be to get through the system the whole way through. And and you can take it the whole way across. And then, you know, obviously near and dear to my part is bipolar. Um, and, you know, we think differently. We're a big picture. I mean, I'm spectacularly crap when it comes to detail, bottom one percent. but I can see connections. Um, And um, this is what people with bipolar do. They see big opportunities. And in fact, there's been a bunch of research about the founding fathers in America and and by psychiatrists. And they came back and said over 95 percent of them have got bipolar. Um, And the answer is, well, you kind of have to have bipolar to think it's a good idea, leaving your nice, cozy farm in Cornwall or Cotswolds and going to a completely alien land, starting from scratch and thinking it's a good idea. Um, I think it would be a brilliant idea, and I'd have done it every day of the week, but most people probably wouldn't. Uh, so, you know, once you flip that mindset and start going, wow, this is incredible. Um, so I think that's point number one. And point number two, in, you know, in, in, in answer to your specifically, how do you do it? Um, well, you know, just in case you're wondering, so the, the Bridge of Hope Careers is effectively a, a digital portal, uh, and we aggregate the very best talent that comes out of charities um, who are job-ready talent we work with about 100 different charities, uh, anybody from Walking with the Wounded, Crisis, St. Mungos, uh, and then neurodiverse charities include Mencat, Mind, etc. Uh, and they do brilliant rehabilitation. Um, and then at the end of that, they get people job ready, and then they don't know what to do. And so we say, well, in which case, point them our way, put them on our platform, and we've got a whole bunch of employers who are actively looking for people. So we have all these charities. We then have social enterprises, and we work with about two dozen universities as well, and they're non-Russell Group universities. So very, very diverse group. When you aggregate it, we were hoping we're 15 months in. We hoped we may have three or 4,000 people from this group, uh, and we got 77,000, which has kind of gone a bit bonkers. Um, And so they're covering every base. We try not to label them because most of them cover multiple ones, but what we do know is there's an incredible talent pool that's not typically available elsewhere, and as Chance says, they're highly resilient, and they've got built-in grit, um, and they think differently. So hopefully
0: that answers your, your your final question, Theo, there. Brilliant. Thank you. And just to kind of reassure you, I was at a health and wellbeing event, I think circa 4,000 attendees over two days in Birmingham a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the neurodiversity room was packed out. Um, so I think that says the sign of the direction that we're going in. Um, that health and wellbeing is a huge priority. Now it has to be COVID and everything else and the realisation that we have to look after our people, right? Um, and then, you, you know, these types of initiatives, the work that you're doing all plugs into uh, a better environment for all, right? So um, that's the good news. So what? Um, so just finally to wrap it off, uh, thank you so much for coming on. If we're thinking around where to find you, anything, what, what you're going to be doing over the next 12 months, anything you'd like to share and how people can connect with you.
2: Um, as far as connecting, um, a couple of ways. So first of all, Chance and I are both on LinkedIn. And if you look at the uh, support um, information for this podcast, we'll, the, there's going to be a link to us, I believe, uh, Theo, uh, to our LinkedIn site. So please uh, connect with us on LinkedIn. Message us. Um, we'd love to talk to anybody. Uh, or you can go to our website, uh, which is bridgeofhope, all, all one word, dot careers, uh, and there's an info at Bridge of Hope and you can just leave a message and just for one or the other of us, or both of us, we'd love to talk to you. Um, you know, we work with a whole host of big blue chip clients already from Santander, Direct Line, Body Shop, uh, Royal Mail, Royal Navy, you name it, and a ton of uh, the agencies as well. So if you're a client or if you work for an agency, you know, we'd love to chat, see if we can help expand and diversify your talent pool Uh, Or if you're um, on the other side and working with charities, uh, we'd love to help your charity. It's totally free to charities or organizations who've got great people who need jobs. Uh, You know, we just want to try and connect the dots uh, can basically be that missing link between these these group of unbelievable talent uh, on one side who are typically untapped uh, and progressive companies and organizations who who would like to try and uh, take advantage and diversify their talent. Uh, And Chance, do you want to add anything else to that?
1: I just think if you want to do the equivalent to signing the Beatles, yeah. watch us on LinkedIn, <laughs> and I, I and we'll be happy to tell you exactly how to do that. And um, and I really, you know, the thing that is most important to me is that the seventy seven thousand diverse candidates that are there are already on the bridge of Hope Jobs Portal. We just want them to get into work. We want them to get jobs. We want them to, to have the opportunity um, to continue to show in, in the recruitment world how great this talent is because they're all doing very well. So to those who uh, are looking for jobs,
0: who are neurodiverse, Bridge of Hope are there for you, right? Um, working with the charities, key charities, whether it's your family members, your kids, your, you've now got a, an anchor point um, and, and then to any HR member, talent acquisition leader, get on the case, talk to them because they're doing some incredible work. And it is, was a gap in the market that needed fill in and they have filled it with a huge splash. So um, well done. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to continue to working with you and supporting you over the coming years. Brilliant. Thanks for having us. Theo. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Theo. Hugely appreciate it. You've been listening to Neurodiversity, Eliminating Kryptonite, Enabling Superheroes. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can like, share, comment, find us anywhere on any good podcasting host. You can also do some further reading up and buy my book uh, co-authored with Professor Amanda Kirby neurodiversity at work you can get it on amazon with Coke and page our publisher and pretty much any other good bookstore enjoy look forward to your feedback and keep listening to the show thank you